This is Illinois in Focus. For the Center Square, I'm Cole Lauterbach. Coming up, we'll look ahead to more fallout from the recent FBI probes into Springfield lawmakers, an effort to repeal the state gas tax should a recession hit, and get commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. But first, here are some of the top stories that happened last week. Illinois Republicans want to take the restraints off of the investigator charged with following up on complaints of lawmaker wrongdoing. State Senator Jason Berrickman says his legislation would ban the Legislative Ethics Commission from requiring the Legislative Inspector General from seeking the commission's permission to follow up on investigations or subpoenas. He says the arrangement is an old rule, not a law, and it's a conflict of interest. The person that occupies that office a woman who is the current inspector general, uh, isn't allowed to be independent of the legislature. In fact, if she wishes to pursue an investigation, uh, she has to come to the Legislative Ethics Commission, which is a panel of lawmakers, and ask for their approval to pursue just an investigation. Same goes for subpoenas. She, uh, although she has subpoena power, she cannot actually issue a subpoena unless she gets the approval of this body of lawmakers. So there's this inherent conflict of interest because she's supposed to be the watchdog. She's a highly qualified and credentialed uh, individual who is supposed to be the watchdog of misconduct or criminal conduct of lawmakers, yet you know, it, it just looks like the fox is guarding the hen house here because for her to do to take any action, uh, she has to get the approval of the Ethics Commission, which is uh, a group of lawmakers. He wants the bill sent to Governor J.B. Pritzker next week when lawmakers return for the final days of session. I, I have proposed legislation that says you can't do that. It takes away, really, it relinquishes the control the legislature has on approving any investigations of our colleagues. I think it's an appropriate measure given the, you know, the recent news, uh, but it's also appropriate given the long history that our state has of corruption and of lawmakers who committed bad deeds. Uh, We've been suggesting this independence be put in place for years Right now, because of all the news, you know, the recent events that have lawmakers in all kinds of trouble, uh, I think that there's maybe more of an appetite among some of our, some of our colleagues to, to enact this law, but the reality is it's long overdue. All three of the current and former legislative inspectors general have expressed frustration with the commission shutting down investigations into lawmaker wrongdoing. The Illinois Senate recently confirmed Governor J.B. Pritzker's nomination for director of the Illinois State Police. Jim Moran has more. Brendan Kelly has been the acting director of the agency since January. The Senate approved Kelly's nomination unanimously. The Senate does advise and consent to their nomination. In Kelly's tenure as acting director, he has overseen the agency during one of the most difficult years in the almost 100-year history of the Illinois State Police. The State Police have had a record number of officer deaths this year, plus a record number of troopers involved in traffic crashes. Looking forward, Kelly says he's placing an emphasis on growing the ranks of the Illinois State Police. 
Kelly says staffing issues have affected the number of troopers on the highway, drug enforcement, and sex trafficking cases. And I'd like to see us get to over 2,000 sworn personnel uh, pretty soon here. Currently, the ISP employs around 1,700 sworn personnel. Most recently, Kelly had served as the St. Clair County State's Attorney. I'm Jim Moran. Illinois lawmakers convicted of a crime while in office would get an additional sentence of five years in prison under a new proposal. State Representative David McSweeney said adding a sentence enhancement would help deter corruption. And we obviously are in a uh, situation uh, right now that we're a national laughingstock and it's time to, uh, to get tough on uh, corruption. So I filed a bill that would increase uh, the penalties for five years for a member of the General Assembly uh, who was convicted of a, a felony uh, for a state crime. And I believe that sends a strong message that we're not going to tolerate uh, corruption and we have to lead by example. So I'm hopeful that I can get the bill passed, but uh, we need to get tough on corruption and all the talk about task forces and meetings, you know, we're, we're past that. We need to take action and this is strong action. His bill would automatically add five more years in prison to any sentence for a crime committed by a lawmaker while they were in office. McSweeney says the bill is in response to the arrest of State Representative Louis Arroyo. You really do have a corruption tax in Illinois. and It's one of the reasons that we have the highest uh, taxes in the country uh, because we have politicians uh, who are benefiting from insider dealings and it's costing taxpayers a lot more money. So I strongly uh, believe that we need to send a message to legislators that we need to end corruption and I believe enhancing their penalties by five years is the way to do it. It wouldn't apply to other state officials or federal crimes. An Illinois lawmaker wants to repeal the recent gas tax hike during economic downturns. Scott Bertram has more. State Rep. John Cabello has introduced a bill to fully roll back the 19 cent per gallon increase if the jobless rate across the state exceeds 8% for three straight months. Those lower rates would remain in effect until the unemployment rate in Illinois has been 8% or less for a period of three calendar months. Cabello says the economy's in fine shape now, but he says taxpayers deserve some relief if the country heads into a future recession. What this does is saying... We want to help our working families, our fixed income, elderly alike, and let them know that we're there for you, we're by your side. The doubling of the gas tax, which took effect in July, is a funding mechanism for the state's $45 billion capital plan. I'm Scott Bertram. Illinois' public retirement accounts have sent state lawmakers the tab for the coming budget year, and the figure is getting closer to $10 billion. The total amount due in the fiscal year that starts next summer is $9.8 billion, representing about one quarter of the Illinois General Revenue Fund. The nonprofit WirePoints has long advocated that the state should reform its pensions before the figure begins to crowd out core services. President Ted Dabrowski says Illinois is an outlier. And we have seen nothing of any real consequence pass the state legislature. They don't want to really take on the problem, which is we've got to absolutely reform pensions. We've got to change the way we do pensions, uh, move to a new defined contribution type plan, and find ways of reducing the debts because we have more debts in Illinois than we can ever repay. So until we reduce uh, those pension debts, I think Illinois continues on this downward slide towards insolvency. But he says the figure doesn't pay Illinois' metaphorical credit card debt down. To pay down that debt, the cost would be nearly half of the state budget. If you look at, if you look at, um, what the actuaries say should be put into the pension plans compared to what the state's putting in. And as you mentioned, it's nearly $10 billion. 
Well, just just to do what the actuaries say, we should be putting in $4.2 billion more. So that would be a, a significant chunk of another 10% of the budget just to, just to equal that amount. So uh, even though we're putting record amounts, you know, nearly $10 billion in for pensions, the actuaries say we should be putting in $14 billion. That's a huge, that's a huge increase. Illinois has about $137 billion in unfunded pension liabilities. Those are some of the most popular stories from last week. You can find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois in Focus, commentary from Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois in Focus. I'm Cole Lauterbach. Crosstalk segment. Of course, it's powered by the Center Square. I'm Chris Krug. I'm joined by executive editor of the Center Square, Illinois, Dan McCaleb. What's up, Dan? Trying to stay warm here, Chris. Temperatures in the teens. Yeah, good luck. Uh, Nice dusting of snow covering the uh, northern part of the state this morning. Um, One more reason to to just be in absolute love with the state of Illinois uh, as it is today. Uh, you've got a bunch of things to talk about that are kind of wide ranging. And, you know, we normally spend the vast majority of, of our conversation and crosstalk focused on Illinois specifically. But every once in a while, it's interesting to kind of periscope back out and take a look at things that are happening in other places to try to add some context to uh, what's going on here in Illinois. So, Two things I want to talk to you about right off the jump here. Uh, we didn't have an election uh, this past week, but other states did. And so item number one, Proposition CC in Colorado was going to cut into taxpayers' uh, visibility and, and, and transparency as far as the what they call in Colorado TABOR, which is the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Let's talk about how that vote came out and what was at stake there. Yeah, the, the, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, it's a foreign concept um, uh, in Illinois. Taxpayers essentially have no, no rights here, it seems, uh, sometimes. So in the 1980s, um, uh, voters in Colorado uh, approved an amendment to their state constitution, as you mentioned, called TABOR, the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. And what that does is it, it restricts tax increases in the state. If, um, a, if the state government or a municipality or a county wants to raise taxes, they have to ask uh, voters permission um, via a, a referendum. Um, it also, what it also does is it caps the amount of money local and state governments um, um, uh, can collect each year to the rate of, to the rate uh, of inflation and population growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, in the last couple of years with the booming national economy, um, uh, the tax reforms, the federal tax reforms, um, Colorado has um, collected significantly more tax revenue than Tabor allows them to. So what Tabor does is it requires them to give that excess tax revenue um, back to taxpayers. Um, and how do they, and how do they do that in Colorado? When you say they give it back to taxpayers, do, do you know what the mechanics of that 
I can't speak to the details of each specific individual taxpayer, but essentially what they do is take they take that amount that's above um, uh, the table or allowed spending, and they cut a check to households based on um, how much how many taxes they uh, they paid in the in the last fiscal year. Mm-hmm. So they like like that. That's my understanding as well. That there's literally like a rebate check that right. gets put back to, to to Colorado taxpayers. Correct. That was, that's pretty interesting because I mean the the you know the other things that were sort of on the books in in Colorado, um, there was a water referendum uh, or a, excuse me a, a water referendum. What's the word I'm looking for there? A ballot initiative. Right. Uh, there was a that that was going to tax casinos, and I think that that one passed. Um, that one did. That one did pass, and and essentially the uh, uh, the excess revenue or the new revenue coming from that is going to be used for um, essentially uh, ma- maintaining the state's rivers and lakes and, and other waterways. Right, right, right. But um, but but voters turned out and said no, no, thank you to more to more taxes, and no, thank you to not letting us know if you're going to tax us without our permission. Essentially, the, the yeah, essentially the, uh, the the constitutional amendment that voters faced on um, Tuesday would have that that those tax rebates um, uh, that taxpayers have been getting uh, for the excess revenue collected um, uh, it, it would have essentially um, restrict, restricted that part of table. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would allow governments, state government, to um, take that not have to refund that money to taxpayers that excess revenue, but to use it on um, higher education, K through 12 education, and um, um, uh, transportation projects. Mm-hmm. Voters uh, pretty pretty significantly uh, uh, turned that uh, uh, measure down. They voted 55% against it, and f- just 45% of voters uh, uh, voted in favor of it. Mm-hmm. So the board is going to stay intact. Now, there have been... Um, um, there has been a discussion for a number of years of either scaling back Tabor uh, in Colorado now that um, there's a Democratic governor and, and uh, Democratic legislature there, uh, but this attempt failed. So mm-hmm. uh, we fully expect uh, new attempts in the coming years, but for now, taxpayers um, are safe. The, the people of the state of Texas uh, had a similar measure put in front of them, and they actually solidified constitutionally that there cannot be an income tax placed on residents of the state of Texas. So Texas has no state income tax and voters at the polls in Texas voted to make that constitutionally binding um, law. Correct. Texas is one of a handful of states in the U.S. that does not um, uh, charge or assess an income tax on earned income for workers or businesses. Um, uh, a number of states, a uh, handful of states, uh, Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, uh, among some of the others. Um, but Texas lawmakers weren't satisfied that they just didn't have uh, uh, an income tax. They wanted to ensure that that main, that's stayed the case for years and decades to come. So they put a constitutional amendment on the ballot asking um, voters to um, uh, essentially solidify that in the Constitution. 
what that would mean is it's going to be much more difficult to assess an income tax in Texas now that it's part of the Constitution. Right. Supermajority of vote of uh, of voters, and then the legislature would need a supermajority of votes to, to institute it. So what this does is it essentially guarantees that Texas is going to be income tax free for for a, for a long time. And, and this one wasn't even close. This was uh, 75% of voters voted in favor of it, and 25% voted. Uh, against it. So it was a three to one margin. Right. I mean, that's a landslide. I mean, by, by any election standard, you know, in this day, meanwhile, you know, Illinois seems to be chugging toward, you know, this uh, progressive tax concept, JB Pritzker's idea of uh, further taxing people and making that basically like an accordion scale, you know, the quote unquote fair tax where, you know, people who are, making a, a reasonable living in the state of Illinois are, are going to get slugged again. Um, but that's going to come to the polls in all likelihood in November, 2020, uh, at the same time that we're choosing a, a new president and that we've had some congressional races to vote on as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's def, it's definitively going to be on uh, the next November's um, um, ballot. It's interesting to see what voters in Colorado and Texas did and whether or not, um, you know, voters uh, next year in Illinois are going to have the same sentiment. Br- bringing it back to Illinois in a, in a, in a more specific way, uh, the Center Square had a piece this week about the annual cost of pensions uh, in the state. Now it's, it's reached uh, $10 billion that has to literally flow from the, you know, from, from taxpayers to pensioners. Uh, can you bring us up to date on on sort of how we reached this level and and and, and just a little more background on the story, if you could? Yeah. So Illinois's uh, five public pension systems are underfunded by 138 billion dollars every year. Uh, so that amount doesn't grow um, or shouldn't grow. Um, state taxpayers are mandated uh, to to put more money, to more dollars into that uh, into the pension systems. Um, what we learned this week is that uh, next year, state taxpayers are going to have to fund the pension, the state pension systems, to the tune of five point, or excuse me, nine point eight billion dollars, and that's an increase of five hundred and thirty-eight million dollars over last year. Uh, if you remember, this year's budget is forty billion dollars, so nine point eight billion dollars, rounding up to ten billion dollars, a full quarter of this year's state budget is going just to pay off. Uh, pension costs for uh, for retired workers, those who are no longer providing services uh, to Illinois residents. Right. And what's what's kind of scary about this is that Pritzker's plan uh, uh, to deal with the pension crisis is tied directly to next year's constitutional amendment regarding uh, uh, the progressive income tax. Mm. Illinois voters reject uh, Pritzker's plan to allow for a progressive income tax, one in which wa- higher wage earners pay higher rates, we don't have a pa- plan to solve the pension crisis then. Because mm-hmm. lawmakers in Pritzker um, are really doing very little to address this, the, the state's pension crisis. And that actually might even be an overstatement because I mean, there wasn't a single piece of legislation that was brought forward in, in the most recent General Assembly that specifically ad- addressed pension problem the state has. Um, we just cruised through the first week 
of uh, a veto session where there could at least been some activity, you know, and discussion about how to go forward. We're heading into the second. There's no indication that this is anywhere on the radar of anyone and that we're approaching this as a state with a single solution mindset that is just going to further put the burden of uh, pension costs uh, on the on the middle class, frankly, and up. Um, couple just some detail in that report, Dan, I, you know, I was cruising through the story again this morning of that uh, $9.8 billion that, that we have to come up with 5.1 billion of that is teacher retirement. Uh, 2 billion of that is uh, state university retirement, state employees, 2.5 billion general assembly retirement system, 27.3 million and uh, the judge's retirement system, um, 148.6 million. I could have probably done a better job of, of organizing those by the hierarchy of expense, but uh, those numbers are massive, man. Yeah, uh, teachers, of course, is the highest because there's more teachers, more retired um, teachers in Illinois than than the other uh, the other groupings. But um, it's. It, we're not going to be able to solve this crisis without significant reforms uh, to the pension systems. Um, that likely will take a constitutional amendment. Unfortunately, um, state lawmakers and the governor, uh, public employee unions, of course, are uh, opposed um, uh, to, to any kind of, kind of meaningful pension reform, even though they, these things um, face potential bankruptcy going insolvent. Yeah. Um, so that's why nothing's happening. Oh, it's, 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 it's just a train wreck. Um, shifting gears just a little bit, staying within the state of Illinois, though. I mean, ethics within the within state government has been a, certainly focal in the in the last few weeks. Is we've had a number of people that have been part of a you know federal probe into illegal activity. That list continues to grow. Um, and by all indications, the feds are not done just yet. So there, there's some question, you know, right now about sort of what is happening. And this is like sort of a reader question. You know, it's like, hey, what's really happening with regard to ethics at the state level? It's discussed. Governor Pritzker talked about it. Republicans are talking about it. What is being done right now with regard to ethics and conduct of legislators and certainly people around government in the state of Illinois and what what might you know what might the you know the the person who's listening at home either on Illinois radio network or on the Illinois in focus podcast what might they be able to expect to see in the coming weeks with regard to state level ethics well they're gonna they're gonna I don't know if they're gonna see a lot of action they're gonna hear a lot of talk a lot of people are talking about the need for ethics reforms um, but we were talking about the need for ethics reforms back when Rod Blagojevich was our governor, and he was uh, indicted and convicted, and now in jail. Nothing ha- nothing happens except a lot of talk. Now there are uh, some Republican lawmakers have filed um, some bills um, to essentially clean up corruption in Springfield, but of course Democrats uh, control both uh, uh, both chambers of the General Assembly, so wh- whether anything happens or not. Um, we'll, we'll find out. Um, one of the bills um, would, uh, there, there's a legislative ins- inspector general uh, mm-hmm. in Illinois who's supposed to be 
uh, in charge of cleaning up corruption and investigating um, uh, things like corruption or harassment, uh, things like that. But the but they're really limited in what they can do because they're over overseen by uh, 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 lawmakers. Essentially, there's a panel of eight lawmakers. Um, who uh, supervise the legislative in inspector general, and they can decide what gets investigated, what doesn't get investigated, and what becomes public if there ha happens to be an investigation or a complaint filed. And they've, in past years, stifled essentially the inspector general's uh, ability uh, to clean things up. Right. And I mean, at one point in time, what the state of Illinois, maybe a year or more without anybody even in the role. Yeah, for almost two years. Um, we learned back in 2017 that there was uh, uh, no inspector general. Um, something like a little bit more than two dozen complaints had been filed in that time. The, the complaints were collecting dust. And that's when this thing initially blew up. But here we are two years later, and um, the inspector general still has no independence. And, I, you know, it's an agitating subject for a lot of people. And certainly it sounds like it's really bothering Buck the Bird. Because he's going absolutely bananas in the background. <laughs> so I'd like to pass my apologies on um, to, to Buck the Bird because. Um, well, he's got a he's got a he's got an opinion on this stuff too. So I I, I get that. So um, so you know, uh, K Kentucky is uh, a state that we don't often think of as being you know terribly forward thinking. Uh, I think among some Illinoisans anyway, I'm not, that's not, that's not my opinion. I, I love the state of Kentucky. I think it's one of the, I think it's really, it's an underrated place uh, in terms of, of just vibe. I think Louisville and the, the urban bourbon tour and the, or excuse me, the urban bourbon trail and the bourbon trail are, are just really, really cool. Um, of course, they just had a changeover in, in governor. Matt Bevins, the, the incumbent Republican, lost this week. Uh, nonetheless, Kentucky's joined the legion of other states that surround Illinois with a uh, campaign to bring businesses from Illinois to Kentucky. Uh, some people may have seen the billboards, especially if you live in the eastern side of the state of, um, of Illinois or down, down in the southern side of, of Illinois. Uh, the southern end of Illinois, uh, where they basically knocked out the IS on the word Illinois and said that, you know, Illinois isn't pro-business, but Kentucky is using the IS from the back end of, of, the, of the state logo for Illinois. Um, this is just one of many that keep coming at us. Are they, are they taking businesses out or is, uh, is, are they just at the uh, beginning of this uh, initiative? It's, a, it's the beginning of the initiative. Uh, they started putting up these billboards in, in October. Uh, right now, there's uh, nine of them, I think, uh, on uh, Interstate 57 uh, as you drive south towards Kentucky. Um, and it, you said long line. Yeah, Kentucky is, uh, it is not new to trying to recruit businesses that currently operate in Illinois to their state because of Illinois' um, anti-business environment, high tax high regulation, um, high cost of doing business. Um, you know, Florida's done it, Wisconsin's done it, Indiana's done it, um, Iowa's done it. I'm sure I'm missing a couple. Well, uh, te Texas, is, Texas has done it too. Texas yeah. has done it uh, as well. And so they're capitalizing on just uh, on, on the, the, 
very poor policies that Illinois has enacted, enacted over decades. And we know from census data that um, you know Illinois residents are fleeing the residents, and some business owners are are leaving the state. Um, so it has been successful to some extent in, in some of these other states. Um, whether Kentucky can capitalize on it, I guess we're going to find out. Yeah. So I mean, it's um, when's the next checkpoint with regard to? I mean, we've got a census coming up next year, the the, the big census, the national census, twenty twenty, where all all U.S. All people residing in the U.S. on April 15th will have to declare where they live. When's the next checkpoint, though? Of the like, you know, these census numbers come out not to say intermittently, but they come out, you know, every so often and give you kind of a mini update. They talk about the number of people that have left the state. We're not anticipating in this report that uh, that Illinois is going to gain ground, and Illinois has been one of the one of the largest, depending on your on your length of measurement, annual or you know five and ten year windows. This has been a state where people have been leaving. When's the next update on that due? Yeah, every year in in December, the census puts out uh, estimates. Um, that's right. not the official it's not the official census, but it puts out estimates based on you know, all the data uh, that's out there, um, the number of people paying federal income taxes, etc. Um, so uh, we expect in, in December to get new numbers. We fully expect that for the sixth straight year, um, Illinois will on net um, lose population. Uh, Illinois currently is in danger of losing up to uh, two congressional seats. And what, what that essentially means because of the declining population and what that means is we lose clout in Washington, D.C. Um, we're, we're pretty much guaranteed to at least lose one if if um, in this next census estimate and then the official census next year, if we continue to lose people, um, it's very probable that we're going to lose two uh, congressional seats. And as far as the geography of that goes, I mean, it's people out there, like, you know, when we talk on Illinois and focus, you know, in the crosstalk segment, we try to make sense of the things that people are hearing and yet, you know, okay. So congressional seats may go away. Um, they would simply redistrict the, state of Illinois and who, who wins, who loses in that scenario with regard to representation? I guess the winners are uh, those folks in, who are in power in Springfield. Uh, but I can't think of anybody else other than them. Taxpayers uh, certainly lose because essentially what's going to happen is you know, Democrats, uh, Speaker, House Speaker Michael Madden again will be in charge of redistricting. And you can guarantee if we, whether we lose one congressional seat or two congressional seats, uh, Madigan's going to make sure uh, that it's a Republican uh, congressman uh, who's redistricted out of their district, because um, what that means is they'll have to change all the districts and we'll, 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 we'll lose one or two um, uh, congressional districts. Um, and, and, and Mike Madigan will make sure it's a Republican who loses and not. But from a bigger picture standpoint, uh, taxpayers are the ones that lose, because it's going to mean that the same people have, who have been in charge um, in Springfield will consolidate their power and and likely continue with the same policies that have been hurting Illinois and Illinois taxpayers and Illinois job creators for decades. That's uh, that's going to be an interesting process. I mean, as far as it goes for the state of Illinois, which you know continues to lose ground nationally in you know in a lot of different areas, and and as you had said. You know, with regard to the 
relevance of the state of Illinois at, at the at the federal level. Um, you know, our our representation in Congress is going in all likelihood the wrong way. All right, Dan, we've reached the end of our time. I appreciate it. All as always, great to talk with you. Thanks for the insight and thanks for the chance to talk about what's going on in Springfield and around the state and Illinois' place in these great United States. Um, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Same here. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Stay warm. Talk to you next week. Thank you. For Dan McCaleb, executive editor of the Center Square, this has been Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square. Now over to Cole Lauterbach for a look at what's going on next week the center square here in Illinois. Next week, Illinois lawmakers will have plenty on their plates as they return for the final three days of the year in veto session. We'll also explore allegations that the governor's office is using state resources to promote the progressive income tax ballot amendment, a measure to give MAP grant funds to teachers getting their certifications in an effort to stop the teacher shortage. And we'll look at the most insolvent city in Illinois. This has been Illinois in Focus. Find more stories and commentary online at thecentersquare.com. I'm Cole Lauterbach.